Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Satlin. How's it going, man? Ben, you were gone that first week, and <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll handle without Ben. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I, can, I know how to do this podcast. And I had a killer podcast. Awesome episode. One of the, one of the proudest solo episodes I've ever done. Only to realize that my mic wasn't recording and it was actually my headphones. And this was a, oh my gosh, this is why Ben is needed for this podcast moment. And a realization, Mara stepped in beautifully last week. Applause to Mara. She was awesome. Well done, Mara. But um, I'm very, very happy to have you back. Um, And in fact, it sounds like you've had a, a very happy last few weeks. Yeah, so my absence was due to the fact that my wife and I welcomed our son into the world. Um, he was born April 19th, um, and so I've just been on proud dad paternity leave the last few weeks, um, sharing as many pictures with everybody I know. Um, it's been amazing. No sleep, but that's okay because when he smiles, it, it's all worth it. So it's it's been a amazing whirlwind of a two weeks so happy for you so happy for joan um yeah just just super pumped for you guys i mean um and for those who uh, who can't see ben you would you couldn't tell like you know like you know he looks great so he's, he's killing it um i feel like when this podcast gets pretty big right um you're gonna be lebron and i'm gonna be Kyrie, and i'm gonna be we're gonna be that <laughs> famous interview where the reporter goes What's Ben like as a father figure? It's like, well, uh, he's not really a father. <laughs> like, I imagine that's how it goes. So, uh, now, did not yeah. think we were going to be introducing Kyrie and LeBron into this conversation, <laughs> but you never know where these things go, right? I just, I just know that I just remember like that interview being like, that's the most absurd question I've ever heard. I know. But anyways, anyways, congratulations to you and Joan. Uh, super pumped for you, and of course your baby boy, um, Ben. With that said, we actually did, Ben, by the way, while you were out, did get a few ratings and reviews. Haven't nice. checked recently. I think 24 on Apple Podcasts. Do have to check a few more. Uh, if there's a few more on Spotify, I think we we're do, at but... 28 now when I checked. I wasn't sure if, if that was a big increase from last week or not or what we've been doing. It's a few additional. It's definitely a few go. additional. So we'll happily take this. I think we're making good progress. But also, hey, leave a review. For the fact that Ben just had a baby boy. I mean, come on. Like, it, what else does the guy have to do to get, you know, like a, a review? So, uh, well, Ben, we've got a lot going on today. Yes, uh, we do. What do you even want to touch on first? So I was gone for two weeks. Kind of kept in touch with the running world a little bit, but obviously had bigger fish to fry. Um, wasn't really paying attention. So I've I've caught up on a few different things over the last few weeks. But I wanted to ask you to take a step back with me over the last two weeks. What's been like the biggest storyline over the last two weeks or, or a trend that you've seen um, on the men and women's side that really stands out to you for, for someone who was kind of MIA for the last two weeks? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people will take a look at like Moad Zahafi's 143 over Brandon Miller, right? Mm-hmm. And how big of a shakeup that's made in the men's 800. Um, or Ilya Kipsing's collegiate record of 333, which was huge, big statement. Um, also very scary to a 348 conversion. Not quite, but very scary almost there. Yeah. Um, 
And then I, I think a lot of people will say, well, look at all these steeplechase performances and look at all these 10K performances. And while they are super, super fast, I don't know if there's ne- if it was like totally like a shock that they some of these guys ran this fast. It's certainly on the faster end of what we expected, but I don't know if it was a shock. The one development that I thought was important over the past two weeks is the women's 800 meters. Lindsay Butler, Virginia Tech, who would probably be one of the clearest and one of the most obvious national title favorites amongst the distance events this year. She's out for the season with an injury, which is crushing. And that opens the door for a lot of different women, like Claire Seymour, who's been running well. But not only that, in the women's 800 meters, you've been seeing a lot of women like Imogen Barrett, um, uh, Katie Ann McDonald and uh, Sarah Hendrick and Lauren Ellsworth Barnes of uh, BYU. Those women all ran, you know, amazing 800 times, two flats, 201s, really impressive marks. And not only that, but they've been doing that with incredible 1500 meter performances, like 413s, 414s, 415s, really strong marks, some part of weekend doubles, others not. Like, I think we have to start seriously considering whether or not Santeo Visa drops down to the 800. I think we have to start wondering, does someone seriously attempt the 1500-800 double? I don't think so. I I think it's unlikely. Probably not. But the women's 800 is so open this year, and there's now so many more top-level names. That's the storyline that I don't think people are are talking about enough, um, especially when you compare the current NCAA picture from the winter to now. I I think you're spot on, because when I was combing through the results, like you said, they're fast times from like the 1500 all the way to the 10K, but they're by men and women that y- you would expect to run quick times for the most part. I don't think the NCAA picture really changed up a whole lot, but in the 800, there's been so much volatility. I mean, Brandon Miller was probably the biggest favorite in almost any event, men or women, to win in the 800. And now after losing and, and, losing convincingly like Zahafi put him away and I mean 143 I mean is incredible and then on the women's side too like you said losing Butler and I I circled Katie Ann McDonald after her two flat I I mean she really filled that gap that Butler just left behind we haven't seen her win at the NCAA stage like Butler has but I I think we're gonna see a much interesting 800 finals in the men and women's side uh, than we probably would have expected even three weeks ago. Real quick, who's your favorite? Is a Hoffie Miller right now? Uh, Miller. I'll yeah. I'll go with the guy who went has won ninety five percent of his races over the last two years. But I I mean, it it seems like there's always that eight hundred star on the men's side that just emerges in the outdoor season. I mean, we've had a long line of just. 143, 144 guys developing in the NCAA scene. And Zahafi looks like that next guy. But I I still like Miller, what he's done consistency-wise, what he did on the indoor side. Even though he didn't run his best race, he still won pretty easily. I think if he has a good day, he can still beat Zahafi. I would agree, yeah. Um, and, and that's just the 800 in a nutshell. So uh, we could talk about everything else, but I think, I'm sure we'll get to a lot of those races yep. from this past weekend, a lot of the steeple and 10Ks. But what did you want to start with first? Did you want to start with the relays? Did you want to start with the open events? What did you want to do? 
Let's start with the relays from Penn, and let's highlight two in particular, the Arkansas women beating NC State in the 4x15 and the Texas men winning the 4 by mile Let's start with the women who just put together, I mean, a tour de force. I mean, Caitlin Tui did everything she could to, to kind of hang on to the Arkansas as long as she could for NC State, but I you'd be hard-pressed to find a more well-rounded 1,500-meter lineup than what the Razorback women put together this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, you just look at the lineup and like everyone just, they all had a good chance of delivering, you know? Like they just seemed reliable. They all seemed mm-hmm. mile-centric, right? But if you take a look at, you know, NC State's lineup, right? You have Tui, who's, don't get me wrong, ran incredibly well, um, but she dropped down in distance. Right. You could maybe argue the same thing about Samantha Bush, although she ran one of the fastest splits on that relay. And then some of those others, you know, they have, I think it was Anna Vest and I think it was Savannah Shaw. All of both of them ran well, all like everyone ran well, but you know, they're just, their splits relative to what Arkansas had. I mean, it was just a lot for Tui to make up and gear is, I mean, if, if gear's working with a lead, she's not going to lose. Like, and she's coming into her own, like we mm-hmm. kind of predicted at the beginning of the outdoor season. She had built that momentum in the DMR at NCAAs and has just continued to improve week over week. And I, I think she's turning into a scary woman to face in the 15th. I mean, and, and you just kind of saw it on that last lap. They go with 300 to go. Yeah. And you kind of look at this and you go, eh, I think gears got her here. I mean, it was so decisive, and and I I don't blame Tui. Like this is like that's not on Tui. No. Like Tui actually, and when you see that gear made her move, impressively, like Tui was not shaken off. Like Tui actually held on somewhat well. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was just a hard race for Tui to to manage. Incredible job by both teams. I mean they were outstanding. But Arkansas was really really smart to not just split the Lauren Gregory, Chrissy Gear, um, kind of put them on the opener and then the anchor, because a lot can happen in the middle. They they back-ended, you know, they kind of back-loaded their relay with Gear and Gregory, two home run hitters, and that kind of put the, you know, I don't want to say put the relay away. It certainly, you know, it didn't give Arkansas the win, but it was it would have been really hard to to take down those two women. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And then on the men's side, as much of a chaotic race as you could have asked for in this four by mile, it's reminiscent of the famous Edward Cesarek four four by mile where it slowed to a walk. We never got that slow, but with about 200 to go, we saw Olin Hacker go down um, and Texas with Creighton Carosa running a really smart anchor leg kicking home for the win over Jack Salisbury of Georgetown going past John Dolan of Villanova some two 1500 meter studs and Carrozza looking extremely smooth while he was doing it so many takeaways from this race um like people don't realize that you see Abdallah fell on the second leg and ultimately Texas had a rally back from you know eight guys down like and that that's a now granted everyone was all at one point right and the tactical nature of some of these races allowed texas to ultimately catch up but 
Yeah, I mean, Texas really did a heck of a job. And Carroza, I mean, master class in, in the ending. Oh, patient, waited, put himself in a good spot. And he, he just has the 800 speed that those guys just don't. Yeah. Um, not that they, they're not great 800 runners. Some of them are. Um, I think Dolan included, you know, like yeah. Dolan is an exceptional 800 guy. But Carroza is is just, I think, probably the most speed-based guy of, of that group. Um and then ultimately, I think when you look at the fall, people are going to look at the clips and be like, oh, well, Wisconsin got in North Carolina's way. I, I got to say, I think Providence was the one that really got in the way there. They were trying to make an aggressive move. If the splits are right, then that was A.J. Ernst trying to you know, box out. And I can appreciate what Ernst was doing, trying to get out of the way. He was blocked in, but there was nowhere for him to go. And then for him to ultimately force Wisconsin out to then trip over UNC, I just, you know. I just don't know how Providence wasn't disqualified or at least penalized. I, I don't know. Like it was just surprising that that move got away. Um, ultimately Providence, I think came out with a what third place finish. So um, no, it, it was a wildly entertaining race. Like that's, that's for sure. Like I was thrilled throughout pretty much the entirety of it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was another, uh, I don't know if it was an instant classic because that's a pen relays Edward Cheserick one, um, yeah. but this was certainly up there. And it was just very physical the entire time. And I, I, I guess it's to be expected when you have that many teams that close together. Um, but I, I think what you, you mentioned with Carroza running a smart last 200, I, I think it's so hard to be patient in these like last lap or last half lap of these kind of races. But I, I think we would have seen a completely different result or could have seen a completely different result if guys like Ernst would have just been a little bit more patient, stayed on the inside, and, yeah. and not gotten wor- too, too worked up with 200 to go. There's still plenty of time in the race. When you're all bunched up together, It's you're not going to win the race at 200. You're going to win the race at 100, and that's exactly what Carroza did. Easier said than done, especially in the heat of the moment. I know I've made that mistake so many times going too early, but like you could just see that the most patient runner was the one who won. And I think there's a good reason for that. That's a great, great point. And it makes sense. Like Carosa is also fairly experienced at this point. Like, yeah, I, I think someone still consider maybe him a little bit of a younger runner, but he's, he's probably out of those underclassmen days, you know, like mm-hmm. he's got some experience. He's been at the national stage. Like I, I want to say he was in the mile finals, uh, maybe even an all American, but yeah, I mean, he he's, he's a stud and he's just, that that entire crew, I even said in our relay, uh, in our preview, that um, Texas will win this relay if they want to. It was a little bit closer than I anticipated, <laughs> but they, they came through. Because I think even in those tactical settings, they were better. In those all-out settings, they were better. Um, and then also shout out to Ole Miss, who uh, won both the 4x8 and DMR with uh, apparently the same lineup. I haven't checked that, but uh, wow, apparently, yeah. That's impressive. All right. Well, let's move on from the relays. We're going to start uh, with the steeple chases and kind of work our way down um, rather than starting at the 800 like we do normally do for individual results. And let's start on the women's side because we saw some really quick times from Kaylee McCabe and Elise Thorner running 9.32 and putting them right into the national conversation uh, with Courtney Wayman, I am I I'm thrilled to just thinking about 
watching this race at NCAAs because it is going to be really quick and there are going to be plenty of people right there at the end. So knowing what you know about Wayman and these women, mm-hmm. what chance do you give Wayman to lose the steeplechase national title barring no one falls? So after last year's run, I'm I'm going to probably have a lower percentage than if if I just hadn't seen last year uh Wayman's 3k last year. I I'm going to say she has a 75% chance of winning still, but I that I feel like that number should be higher based off what she's done over the last year, but I'm not quite ready to give her even more just because she did not win the title last year. Yeah, I really like that 75% number. I think that's um, a a very fair number. I think it leaves it open to the potential that McCabe and that uh, Konechek even, um, or someone else, who am I thinking? Thorner, Thorner have. um, I mean, those women have all run 932 or faster, which is crazy. I think Wayman's the most consistent, experienced, has been in these fields before. She's all around better, um, and she's just more consistent. Um, but but I will say that I think McCabe, this is probably her best event, and last year's All-American finish supports that. Yep. And I think that's where that 25% of like, hey, if if County Check is back in her prime, if McCabe is building on this performance, if Thorner continues to muster up the New Mexico magic, then it's I'd still pick Wayman, but it's not as clean of a pick as maybe I once thought it was. I think these performances, rather than make me think that Wayman's not going to win, makes me think that the race is just going to be more interesting. I think there's going to be more people at the end. I think it's going to end up be faster overall because I think there's going to be multiple people willing and able to push the pace early. Um, and, and I think that'll make it a more exciting race and probably does make it a little bit more volatile in terms of Wayman maybe being able to be upset. Um, but at the end of the day, I think she's still very much the class of the field. I agree. Yeah. And I think to some of these women, I, I kind of need one more prove it race. And I know that's absurd for anyone who's run 932, but yeah. I agree. All right. On the men's side, your guy, Ahmad Jaziri, A24, beating Duncan, Duncan Hamilton, who ran 826. We saw Zach lift off uh, running 832, Colton Johnson, 839, and then Ed uh, elsewhere running an 8.30. After this, who is your steeplechase favorite? Um, I, I will say this. The, the Tripos result is interesting because I just didn't know if he was going to be running that yep. fast mm-hmm. this season. I mean, like, after running the 8.19, he would kind of been missing in action. Um, so that was, that was kind of new for me there. Um, in terms of my favorite. I think, I think I'm going to go with Ahmed Jaziri, though. Like, it has to be Ahmed Jaziri. It has to be. Like, there is no... There, I've been saying this for years, and by years, I mean a year, but years. Did you read my, my recap? I did. Um, yeah, did you, you threw me right under the bus. Yep, yep. Ben Still feel the trend marks. I threw you under the bus. I threw Mara under the bus. Like, I threw my own mom under the bus. That's not true. <laughs> mom, I love you. But, um, like, I, I was right. I just like, oh, it's right. And like, even if he doesn't win a national title, the best part is that I was right. Because all I needed people to realize, uh-uh, 
Because all in Ben, stay with me here. All I needed people to realize was that this guy can win a national title and that he should be in the title conversation and that you have to consider it for NCAA gold. And after running 824, you cannot argue with me otherwise. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all by the time. Like, he, he's run quick. Wait, wait, he, wait, wait, time out. Time out right there. Then how on earth could he not have originally been a national title a favorite or contender? I think a contender I, I'm good with, but I I don't... I don't know if I'm scarred by seeing him at regionals last year and really struggling to even qualify for nationals. Like, I, I don't know if that's still in the back of my head, but I, I I mean, he's absolutely a contender. He could win. He's not my favorite. My favorite didn't even run this weekend in the steeplechase, but I just, I, I think he could. I just want to see him actually put it together at a NCAA meet who's your favorite one ryan smeaton mm, i was gonna say kai robinson i was like he did run he ran 853 um but yeah all off of an incredible 10k performance but Smeaton's yeah that, that was super underrated like if someone just sees the 853 next to kai robinson and doesn't realize that he ran the 10k like right before that like the day was it the day before i think it was the day or, before yeah yeah the day before like that it makes that time way more impressive. Yeah, and to- it was it was totally a great time. Like we can talk about it later. I think it doesn't really. We'll talk about that maybe in a moment when it right. gets to his ten k. Yeah, listen, I, I I get it. I can see like you could I could look at four or five guys right now and say, oh, these guys are all title contenders. But when Jaziri ran eight thirty nine, I was still saying this guy should be considered as a title favorite. I. I just want a little bit of love here. All right. And, and you're right. And, and you're right. And, and I, I think uh, with, with the credentials he came in with, the times that he ran last year, and, and we have to remember too, he ran something, I think he ran 820 last year at uh, EKU yeah. with the time that got uh, scratched because of some issues with the starting line for the steeplechase. Yeah. I I I think he probably ran sub eight thirty that day. Like even yeah. even if the starting line was a little off. Like I I don't think this should be. It's a very good performance, but I don't think this should be like a stunning result for people who have kind of tracked him over the last year or two. Then why was he not originally a title contender or even a title? Fa- like he like he ha- even even if he's not the lone title favorite. He has to be a title favorite right now. Right now, yeah, I, I think, yeah. I so agree. then, one of them. So then, so then, if you if you realized and thought that he could run this time, why was he not a title favorite originally? Because he just he hasn't put it together and at, at an NCAA meet. Like I just I. All right. All right. I mean, you can say the same thing about Ed Tripos. Like, oh well, yeah, and that's why I haven't considered him as like. Like, again, that's why I'm so high on Smeaton, why I'm high on Robinson. Like, I'm higher on those kind of guys. I mean, honestly, I really like what Duncan Hamilton did yeah. finishing eight with A26. I mean, he'll kind of fly under the radar a little bit here, but he's someone that, honestly, I might like a little bit more than Jaziri just because he has had a little bit more experience. While he hasn't had necessarily, like, overwhelming performances there, he has been at the NCAA meet several times. Yeah, and he's been an All-American in the steeplechase before. Um, I, I love Duncan Hamilton. Like, I'm trying my best. I actually think I underrated the steeplechasers in our most recent rankings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, like, I think that's me trying to stop myself from looking at Duncan Hamill's resume, Duncan Hamilton's resume, where he ran three thirty nine for fifteen hundred meters, thirteen thirty for five k, now eight thirty two or eight twenty six, excuse me, for the steeplechase. And oh, by the way, he ran seven forty five for the three k during indoors. Right, like I'm trying to like to to balance between like how many title contenders does he have to battle with in the steeplechase versus how valuable is he overall? Value. I mean, he could do everything. He can do any event, and he could. He really could. American, really. I mean, he's incredible. Um, But yeah, I I think this both of the steeplechases will be really interesting. I think the men's side is very much up in the air um i i think despite jaziri's not 824 i still think there's several people who could take home the title which i think makes it really interesting and with it being a steeplechase where there can be falls there can be some trips i i think we're going to be in for a really interesting last lap or two in that race i mean i know the men's race for whatever reason the women are graceful they can stay on their feet yeah generally speaking like even courtney wayman like tripped up a little bit and that was considered a big deal but she didn't even fall last year the men have had like five or six just falling on the floor and like late passed out there was there was steven fahey one year there was brian barraza the other year jazeera went down last year like i mean these guys can't stay on their feet mason furlick had one of the most epic like dives into the water pit i can never remember the poor guy Um, it's okay he's actually He's one of the best. He's uh, an Olympian he's now. He's fine. Yeah, he's an Olympian now. He's okay. Um, so yeah, I, I the men for whatever reason cannot stay on their feet, and I agree with you. That's what makes this tricky to to gauge. But in a world where they're somehow just as graceful as the women, um, I I like Jaziri right now. Fair enough. All right, on the women's side in the 10K, we saw uh, Grace Forbes come back and run 32.59. We also saw Laura Mooney run 33.23. Um, not a whole lot here other than it's good to see Forbes back headed in the right direction. And if she can continue this, I mean, she is certainly someone that could scare a lot of the favorites in the 10K when she's on her A game. We haven't quite seen her put together her best race at NCAAs, but I mean, maybe with a little bit of a later peak this year, we could see that. Yeah, I think the later peak is a good point, and she's super versatile, and she has experience now, and I think that benefits her. Love Laura Mooney in the 10K. I think she's like a very, very deep and sneaky sleeper pick for an All-American spot. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I actually think she's like in a, a perfect spot for that. Ben, um, I, I want to quickly do some math here. How many women under 33 minutes do you think are, are, are under 33 minutes this year for the 10K? Oh, uh, is it five? Uh, no, that's incorrect. It is three. Oh, previously. Wow. Yeah. Before this weekend, it Lauren was Gregory. two. There's Lauren Gregory and Amelia Mazadowney. Okay. Who had both um, run that at the same meet. Now, if you look at uh, the women's 10K from last year, you'll find that altogether at season end, there were... 14 women who ran under 33 minutes and i know what you're saying but but garrett what about i'm sure like all that was in may at the you know the the conference championships but we count one two three four five one two three four five six six of them were run before may of last year so 
we're pretty much at, for whatever reason, the top end of the women's 10K this year is just not as fast. And this huh. is bizarre because you would think that Peyton Jordan coming back, you think that Mount Sack and Brian Clay, yep. you think that all these races would lead to faster 10K times, but the Peyton Jordan 10K was non-existent on the women's side. Yeah. It, honestly, like last year when there wasn't as much travel and everybody just kind of stayed in their geographical areas for the most part, I love that. I thought we saw a lot of good results because coaches got together and were like, we're going to just have a lot of these very high quality meets almost every weekend. And I, I feel like obviously you can't beat going out to California. The weather is much more predictable. You're going to be able to have a better shot at getting a really, really fast time. But I wonder if we lost something a little bit from last year where the, we had these pockets of really good meets almost every single week that were set up in a, every region almost. So the thing about last year is that like there wasn't a conference except one that requires you to compete in conference during the spring and the winter, right? right? And I, I so I don't know how much variability that played in. Maybe it played some, maybe it didn't. But I'll just say this, the Big Ten, like that was the most underwhelming conference last year. It was so boring. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, Bethany Haas soloed another win by yeah. a minute. Oh, that's great. That's super exciting. Oh, what's that? Danae Rivers is like another 1500 contender. Super awesome. Like, it's just <laughs> like, it, it's just, it was just the same thing, like over and over and over again. And there's, that doesn't make them any less talented. It was just boring. So I'm. I, I don't miss that for sure. Well, I don't miss just the the um, co- conference only, but I'm I'm thinking of like we went like that EKU meet. I know that's a bad like a bad example because of it, yeah. it didn't end up going great. But <laughs> think of think about the 1500 at EKU last year. We saw a lot of good fast results. We saw a lot of really really quick oh, times yeah. at Joe Walker, um, where we did not this year. Weather was definitely a factor in that this year. But I I thought we saw some like in the southeast where we don't necessarily see a lot of really quick 1500 5k's run um at these kind of meets i i just thought it was interesting and i'll be curious to see if we kind of ever see that again post covid or if that was just going to be a one year exception yeah that's a good point i mean because you really look at this year's leaderboard and it's entirely Mount Sack, Brian Clay, yeah. and a little bit recently Peyton Jordan. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's other events there. You know, there's other races like on the 800 side, Tom Jones Memorial. But yeah, it's it's concentrated to only a few meets. Yeah. All right, let's go to the 10K where we did see some quick times at Peyton Jordan. Adrian Wildshut, 27-38, taking down Charles Hicks, 27-40. Cole Sprout, 27-42. Matthew Pereira, 2745, and Kai Robinson rounding out the top five, 2747. I I mean, pretty wild like times. Like to I, I don't think either of us would have been surprised to see them run under 28 minutes. I think that was something I probably I think I said like three or four weeks ago that we should be prepared to see a lot of guys under 28 this year. But to go like way under was just a stunning and to see how many of like five guys go 15 plus seconds or 13 plus seconds under i i was just stunned by the overall depth of this race it was impressive like you know when you take a look at some of these and for some of these guys it, it kind of makes sense like 
if anyone was going to go out and just completely dominate at a ridiculously fast pace, of course it was going to be Wapshoot. Right. It just was. Um, but I think you take a look at like Matthew Pereira. Like mm-hmm. Harvard has been great. And like we've known Harvard's been killing it as of late. We know that they have a bunch of good guys. We knew Pereira was going to be one of those uh, guys, but I did not think he was going to be what a 27, 45 guy. Like that's absurd. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, I'll say this. I think the biggest takeaway for Stanford is not Hicks. It's not Sprout. And it's not Robinson. It's Thomas Boyden. It's Thomas Boyden running 2844. 2044. Is that what and you mean? T- and teammate uh, Micah Bowden Rousseau running 2849 right behind him as well. Exactly. Now, I don't, I, now I have no idea uh, Boudin Rousseau is coming back for cross country. But, like, I mean, Boyden is like that guy they need. Like, Stanford has a window, it's like a two year window now, I think. They've got to deliver on this window. They can win a national title. They can beat NAU. I don't know. Let's not remember. I mean, their top three is as good as any, like as bet is better than anybody in the country at this point. Like you, just I would argue that they're the best. There, there's no the one who can party. touch them right now. Yeah. Agreed. So you now see like, okay, let's translate the cross country. They just need five guys at that. Cause that's how cross country works. <laughs> like if Boyden's one of them, they are one guy away. If and if I don't know if Rousseau has eligibility, I haven't checked for cross country. But if he does, then you have five guys under twenty eight fifty for ten thousand meters, three of which are sub twenty seven fifty guys. Like that, that in theory can win you a national title, especially if Boyden's going to continue to get better. And oh, by the way, Devin Hart, like Devin Hart, yeah, Devin Hart ran seven fifty one for three k, like this past winter. Like Stanford's right there. They're right there. The thing with Stanford is the talent was never is never a question. You know they have it. It's just can they translate it to the grass at the right time and enough of them doing it. And I think we're starting to get to the point with them, though, where their margin of error is getting much bigger because they have more and more guys who are performing at a high level fairly consistently. And when you have a top three like this, who have been out of this world since indoor track began, it it makes it so much easier to just find one or two guys out of that next four guys in the lineup who just need to have decent races. They don't have to have stunning races. They just have to be good. And, and I'm, I, I think we'll probably talk a lot about this in the summer, but I am super intrigued to see how that plays out in the fall. People who are listening to us and who have been listening to us for a while are probably screaming at their phones right now. <laughs> if you rank Stanford over NAU uh, one more time. Inject it. Inject it. I want to see what the criticism that? again. Was, was that 2018 or 2019? I think it was 2019 that we did. Yeah. Summer 2019. That was like Radcliffe and... Was it? it was Ratcliffe, Osberg, Fahey, and oh Parsons. my gosh, Alec Parsons. Parsons. Oh, good name recall. The very good, and then just a swarm of other guys. So, um, I, I'm just saying though, like, am I? Are we going to do that again this year? Maybe not. I, I don't know. But um, Stanford, like on paper, like, and here's the thing: they have it. Like when one guy runs well, they all run well. Yep. And like they they don't run poorly. And they haven't run poorly since the Pac-12. It, 
like since before the Pac-12 invite um, this past winter. So yeah. Yep, 100%. All right, let's move on to the women's side in the 5K. We saw Adva Cohen come out and just run one of the races of her life, running 15.26. Lauren Ryan putting down another good mark of 15.30. Haley Herberg and Ali Shadler running 15.31. Elsewhere, we saw Sydney Seymour take home a big win, uh, beating Nicole Fagans by five seconds. Seymour running 15.36. Dominic Claremont was third, running 15.42. I mean, a lot of interesting stuff here. Seymour stock has been just steadily rising. And at this point, it is just like a flat line, just straight up. And Cohen, I mean, not running the steeplechase this week and instead running the 5K and just looking unbelievable, taking down Lauren Ryan, who has looked really good since the indoor season. I This, this kind of turned my world upside down a little bit on the women's side, I'll be honest. So who do you... No, you know, I won't even ask that. Um, <laughs> nah, yeah, let's, let's try it. And like, because uh, this might surprise pe- uh, some people. Ava Cohen, Sydney Seymour, who do you like more as an All-American Ooh. this spring? Ooh. Cohen is just, I the consistency has never been her strong suit. But this See- is her second time under 1530 this spring. Yes, that's true. <sighs> I mean, Seymour's been so good, but she hasn't she has. put it together at NCAA stage. I'm going to go with Cohen. I, I think mm-hmm. we, we probably don't need to overcomplicate things and, and take the person who's run 1526. I will say, going back to our theoretical value index rankings, Seymour's, I, her value, stock could not be higher. The trade value column, it just keeps changing trade every the- week. I know, but her, like she, I mean, her value could not be any higher. Like the fact that like, she's just getting better. She's not just winning, but she's winning comfortably over some elite names mm-hmm. or at the very least top tier names, whatever your definition is. I mean, she is like scary, scary good. Um, for the sake of NC state, they need to get her. And I've said this for, for forever <laughs> and NC state needs to get Seymour because if they get Seymour, they'll win another team title. Yeah. And I think it only is appropriate that Tui has at least two team titles. That feels appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully she can pair it with a, an individual title. That would be, I mean. Well, after running 15-14, I, I think she'll soon get there. So Yeah, I agree. All right, let's go to the 5K on the men's side. Ahmed Mohammed ran 13-26, beating Barry Keane, who also ran that same time. Acer Iverson ran 13-28. Uh, Scott Beatty, 13-31. Uh, Athanas Kyoko did his uh, seasonal just solo a incredible time running 1326 as well. <sighs> Such an impressive run from so many of these guys. And I just don't know. And I just don't feel that excited about it. And I hate oh my myself gosh. for saying that. <laughs> I was going to say, like, is it bad if we just skip this section? <laughs> like, it doesn't. It doesn't, I don't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but like ever, all these are predictable performances. It's just super predictable. I I am interested to see what Kyoko does at NCAAs. I feel like he benefits from the outdoor track a lot more than running indoors. I agree. And I think he is someone, if it does get fast, he can really push and hang in there longer or as long as almost anybody in the country. And we saw that in cross country with him where, I mean, he pushed Mance 
like very far, much further than probably any of us thought he would. Um, and so he he's probably the only person out of this group where I'm like, he could be a top three guy in the 5K come NCAAs, but the rest, even with these times, it's just we've gotten desensitized to the sub-1330 at this point that it's hard for me to say any of these guys are even All-American locks. I'm rooting for Barry Keane. Like, that's the only thing that I'll say. I'm rooting for everyone to be successful, but I, I really want Barry Keane to deliver an All-American performance because I just... I know he can. Yeah. Um, and he's been really consistent. But yeah, other than that, I really don't have anything to say. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the 1500 on the women's side. Julia Haymock ran 411, beating teammate Christina Aragon 412. Maya Ramsden ran 418 in that same race. We also saw uh, a lot of uh, Colorado Buffaloes run good 1500s. We saw Madison Borman 414, Abby Nichols. 414, Rachel MacArthur 416, um, Olivia Howell taking home the win uh, in 415. Uh, again, a lot of good races, but a lot of fairly predictable performances. I, I liked what we saw out of Haymock taking the win in 411. I think she's someone that's flown under the radar a little bit, um, but is someone who can absolutely win whatever title she decides to run at at NCAAs. Well, I think Aragon's also super underrated here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that 412 is really encouraging. Like, that 412, that's one of the fastest times of the country. And yep. we're just kind of, like, breezing by it because Haymock ran 411. And, but, like, hey, our Aragon is super experienced. And, yes, she's had some up and downs throughout her career. I think some too, due to injury, really. Yeah. Um. So, you know, some of that's not her fault. But, like, when she's really on, she is really difficult to stop. She was an All-American last year yeah. in an event that was – pretty top heavy i mean chrissy gear um you know michaela de janeiro and sage herta and like a lot of talented women um so you know i i, I don't know like oh and uh, anna camp bennett is the other one but yeah. i think aragon's like in a position to be another all-american because i don't know if i like this year's 1500 field as much as i liked it last year hmm I, it's definitely not as top heavy. And I think we saw that at the indoor mile where no one really knew what to do, especially once like we saw someone kind of really take the lead. Um, and there wasn't like that instant recognition that that's the favorite we need to go with her. Um, I, I will say that I think it is maybe a little deeper. I think when you get to the line one through 12, I think it's going to be a real battle for that top eight spots because I think there's going to be real depth across each of those positions. Yeah. I, I think you could argue that the depth is equivalent. I would, I wouldn't argue about that, but I just think in terms of like top heaviness, like yeah. I'm not even confident that Visa is going to run the 15, you know, like, so if she doesn't, then I'm, and, and maybe she does, but if she doesn't, then I, I feel pretty good about my I think answer. she and, should like, like I, I think it's I don't open know. for her. I, I don't know. I think the eight hundred's open for her with Butler yeah. gone. Yeah, that's fair. So, all right, fifteen hundred on the men's side. Isaac Baston ran three thirty nine. Moad Zahafi backing up his uh, one forty three, running three thirty nine. Um, right behind him, we saw Victor Kiprop and Shane Bracken run three forty elsewhere. Um, again, I think this is a nice performance from Baston picking home taking home a, a nice win over Zahafi, but it, the time is what you would expect from a guy of his caliber. So Zahafi 
that was his first 1500 meter race ever. That's nuts. And it is. Yeah. And appa- apparently, I did go back and double check and confirm, but apparently, that's his first 1500 meter race ever. Don't quote me on that, but lo- loosely throwing that out there. Even so, for someone who's run 143 before for 800 meters, who's also a strength based runner who can go out there and is aggressive with his tactics, like, it, it kind of makes sense, especially when mm-hmm. he's in a race with another 339 guy, um, of which Bastin very slowly chips away and starts adding up more consistency. Who it, it's hard to dislike Bastin right now, but um, yeah, I mean, great races by by all. All right, and let's finish with the 800s on the men's side. We really didn't see a lot. We saw Brandon Miller run 146, another strong result from him. Um, but on the women's side. Uh, we saw Katie Ann McDonald continue to build on her great season, running 202, beating NCAA 800 indoor champ Aliyah Miller, who ran 203, showing some good signs of progress this outdoor season. We saw Imogen Barrett uh, run 202, beating uh, teammate Gabrielle Wilkinson 203. We saw Dorcas Iwa running 204, and Carly Thomas run 204 as well. But I think the story has to be Miller. And she could be someone like like we've been mentioning with Butler out could be someone to take advantage of that hole at the top and reassert her dominance. Yeah, unfortunately, I think two oh three is not the same as two oh three last year. No. Um, and so, like that said, this is an encouraging step forward. You know, you want to see like we know like she won a national title. We know she can she can compete for a national title. So, but after not really contesting the event that much and kind of underwhelming earlier this spring, seeing her get back into the groove and get back into the gist of things, it's just, it's encouraging. And I'm not ready to make a proclamation yet. I'm still like a little hesitant, especially because she's been virtually non-existent this year. But 203 gets, makes things a little bit interesting. And the same thing with Gabrielle Wilkinson of Florida, who also ran 203. Mm-hmm. Like they, they could make some noise in the postseason if they end up peaking, which they have a right. month to do. They have exactly. a month to do it. That could be a problem. And that was what I was going to say. They have a whole month. Like if they're showing this upward trajectory and they can continue that, which isn't, you can't take for that for granted. But if they do, we have a whole month left for them to really hit their stride because they're good enough right now to make NCAAs. But if they can keep improving, they're going to be all Americans or possibly even title contenders. Who's more likely to be an all American Wilkinson or Miller? <sighs> Miller's so boomer bust that I feel like she has the better chance of winning, but she also has the better chance of falling out of the all American discussion. So I, I, I honestly think Wilkinson, because I, I, I think she is someone who's can, has shown a little bit more consistency in the past. We haven't seen that from her yet this year, but I, I have a little bit more faith in her to maybe not try to win. And that's why she'll guarantee herself a better shot at the all American finish. If that makes any sense. That makes sense. I actually like that, that uh, explanation. I have no idea what my answer would be. Like, I think you just flip a coin and it'd be like, yeah, yeah sure. But I think your logic makes a lot of sense. Um, especially because I think Milkinson her drop off this year in the 800 has not been as significant. Stark. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's been a little more steady. Still not amazing, but a little more steady. She's still running 204s and now 203, of course. So, um, so yeah. Ben, that's all I got. 
All right. Well, let's wrap it there. This was a great episode back. I am thrilled to be back in in, in the groove of things um, right at the perfect time. We got conference championships coming up soon. We got regionals, NCAAs. Um, we're going to have plenty to talk about. I, I think we probably need to start talking about maybe our favorites even more in depth for each of these events. We kind of hinted at it for a little bit, um, but we're getting down to, to cutting time. This is, this is the most exciting of the year of the outdoor season. Yeah. Um, so much going on, like on the site right now, we've got rankings. We're going to probably post two, uh, previews this week. I've got some transfer stuff coming up. That is really good. And Ben already knows about some of it. Um, I mean, it's, it's already like in our, in our slack, it's some pretty heavy hitters in there. Um, so we've got that, um, and we will probably still be doing, of course, podcasts, um, a whole lot more. Um, but yeah, just stay tuned. And Ben, just think, uh, five weeks from now, six weeks from now, we're talking about, we're talking about cross country now. Yeah. Isn't that the best? Oh, oh yeah. I, I know outdoor track. Everyone loves outdoor track, but man, cross country, that's, that's where that's could, that's our so. niche right there that's that's the tsr niche we we Absolutely. love talking about the action on the grass so yes this is going to be an insanely exciting stretch and then we're going to get a build on that with xc previews and just t- talking stupid hypotheticals in the summer which i which i cannot wait for. i i love stupid hypotheticals it's it feels like that's just all the bill simmons that i i listen to so um well ben that's all i got you have anything else Nope, I'm all good. Until next week, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.